0: And hello. Hi. And welcome to Hacks on Drac, a podcast miniseries examining the legacy of Bram Stoker's iconic vampire novel. I'm Matt. I'm Chris. And uh, over the course of 10 episodes or so, we're going to be talking about the, the legacy, if you will, of Dracula in pop culture, mm-hmm. and kind of where all of our sort of preconceived notions about Dracula come from because I really wanted to do this podcast because I was thinking about that Like Dracula is one of these things that kind of everybody knows about. Absolutely Everybody's got a version of Dracula in their brain. If you tell someone to visualize Dracula, they have an image already formed.
1: Yeah, it's like Superman Batman
0: It's like santa claus Claus, yeah it's yeah it's like it's it's just like he's almost like a a mythical figure on like a like a higher plane but dracula itself isn't that old a book it only came out in 1897 which is relatively not that long
1: ago which when we were talking about that that really um surprised me even after reading it i didn't uh yeah, it seems like it's probably like 200 years old and it's really not. Yeah, and like
0: yeah. everything about Dracula kind of has like an older kind of mythology behind it that kind of makes it seem like it's much grander and, and uh-huh. older than it is. And a lot of it stems from kind of old mythology as well, which, which helps that. But yeah, as a book, Dracula has only been around since 1897. Mm-hmm. You know, like The Great Gatsby came out and you know, like the early 20s, something like that. And that's considered a pretty modern novel. And there's only about yeah. like a 30 year difference between that. And dracula yet dracula is kind of considered this you know it's an old timey it's like an old timey you know spooky tale and and that's like a an example of you know like modern whatever so yeah so we're just gonna go through and kind of examine why dracula is so prevalent in our minds and Mm -hmm. where like i said various kind of things about dracula come from when we think of dracula because if you like I said, if you tell a normal person to visualize what Dracula looks like in their head, yeah. that visualization is nothing like what's in the original book Dracula Yeah, in any way, shape or form. It's
1: similar in the way that uh, you hear Frankenstein and everyone immediately thinks of the monster Yeah, when that, in fact, is not the case, which I always get a kick out of telling people. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that Are great. you one of those people that like goes up to people
0: when they say, like, that's Frankenstein and go, um, actually, that's Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> No, I have to say like I'm That's a pretty true. big horror person, but people like that I'm like get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's like, you know, what you know what I was talking about, it's, it's about like, Frankenstein,
0: it's like John
1: Mulaney says just because you're accurate doesn't mean you're interesting <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh but yeah, no, it's it's true because there's been so many adaptations of Dracula and interpretations of Dracula and um yeah, so if you ask anyone to picture Dracula, they might have a vastly different image in their head. Yeah,
0: depending on where they're from geographically, yeah. people in England view Dracula kind of differently based on the media they have over there versus how we view mm-hmm. Dracula.
1: Yeah.
0: And, uh, and yeah, and stuff like that. So over the course of, yeah, like I said, nine or 10 episodes, we're going to go through various kind of... Uh, famous adaptations yeah. of, of Dracula. The just just the Dracula story, though. We're not going to get into any of the weird spinoffs and stuff until sequels,
1: prequels, we're yeah. going to
0: do on our last two episodes, the last one or two episodes, depending on how long the discussion is, we might chop it up. We're going to get into some of our favorite shitty <laughs> Dracula yeah. sequels. Like we might talk a little about Dracula 2000, which we watched together a couple or- weeks ago. and.
1: Oh, my God. You know what? We we did watch that entire movie. We, we watched that.
0: Are you already blocking it out of your
1: brain? It's just so forgettable. I completely forgot that we actually sat and watched that entire thing. Um, we did.
0: But, yeah. So, but the rest of the podcast, we're going to just go through and talk about, like I said, big adaptations of, of yeah. Dracula, starting with our second episode. We're going to talk about the original Silent Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. And then the episode after that, we're going to talk about the Bela Lugosi Dracula.
1: Yeah. So and, it's all the major uh, film adaptations. Yeah.
0: The, we're going to talk about... The Christopher Lee one, the Frank Langella and uh, Jack Palance one we're going to do a tag team on because they're both mm-hmm. kind of middle of the road kind of adaptations. I think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. The Herzog Nosferatu, the Francis Ford Coppola one, and uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It by Mel Brooks. Yes. It's not an important one, but it's funny and I like it. It's and important. this is my podcast. So. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's the basic kind of structure of what we're going to be talking about. Uh, over the course of this little mini series, like I said, like everyone kind of has like dr- like it seems like you're almost just like born with knowledge of Dracula. Like asking someone what their first memory of Dracula is almost kind of it's like asking someone what their first memory of Santa Claus is. Yeah. it's just like it you seems can. like it's just so ingrained yeah. in the zeitgeist that like you kind of just. Like absorb it almost, but as much as you can, uh, what is your first recollection of, of Dracula?
1: So I'm pretty sure my first recollection was of identifying who Dracula was, was my brother, who's a couple years older than me, dressing up as Dracula for Halloween. I think I was in kindergarten or preschool or something, but, um, yeah, I mean, I remember, I, I, we still have a picture of it actually, but yeah, he had like, you know, like the widow's peak fangs he had blood and he was wearing like a a cape and um i probably watched one of the earlier dracula movies back then i don't i honestly don't remember the first one i watched aside from seeing uh the francis ford coppola version in the theater when i was like nine or ten Oh, your parents um, took you to go yeah. see the R-rated Francis yeah, Warren Poblo? Oh, my wow. Dad, so my dad used to, my mom used to work weekends. So my on the weekends, my dad would just take me and my brother to go see movies and go to museums and, and stuff. But uh, yeah, he took us, he didn't really care too much about ratings. I think as long as he was like watching it with us and could explain to us after what certain things <laughs> meant, uh, he was fine with it. So yeah, I remember seeing that movie and... You know because like what you said like when you have that image of Dracula in your mind um, even if you probably never sat through an entire Dracula movie I remember coming out of that movie and being like oh that was like a really that was like a much different interpretation yeah. than I was expecting so, so what's yeah. what's your what's your first early memory of Dracula
0: my first early memory of Dracula um, like I like my family is pretty are pretty big horror people, just like in general. And uh, but we didn't get to watch anything like scary, scary when we were younger, unless it was funny in some kind of way. So uh-huh. like a lot of my early memories of of Dracula are, are from things like a uh, like the Treehouse of Horror, the Simpsons one when they go visit yeah. Mr. Burns. Classic. <laughs> in in Pennsylvania, <laughs> and they kind of do like a like a quick Dracula ripoff with Mr. Burns. Mr. Burns looks like the the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula with the the white butt hair. Yep. And in uh, like the the shadow that moves and everything,
1: and uh, he so has, like uh, he has dentured fangs too, I believe, right? Until I he's... don't think
0: uh, Grandpa Simpson at oh, the end Grandpa of that episode has right. has dentured fangs, yeah, yeah. where he flies into the room to to get Lisa and then he like hits us <laughs> Yeah, it's a great gag. <laughs> <laughs> those those are so good. Those are a yeah. lot. Those are like some of my earliest horror anything's, like the the uh-huh. Simpsons
1: trio horror ones. I know. I always looked so much. I looked so much forward to. Got every Treehouse of Horror. They're
0: they're really good to this day. Like the Treehouse of Horrors are still like the only Simpsons episodes worth watching. Right. I feel like if they just canceled the Simpsons and said we're coming back like just Just once a year just to do the the Halloweens, I'd be like that's fine
1: eventually. Um, But Um, but other than that, that was before you had even seen that the Coppola. Dracula. Oh yeah, right?
0: like oh no, like I I think eventually like so so after that like my my mom in particular because she's huge into horror stuff uh, like started introducing us to like and Costello meets Frankenstein, mm-hmm. which that was probably my first seeing a live action Dracula. Yeah. which that's a, a great movie. A lot of the Universal monster movies are kind of shit, and they're kind of and like. Bella
1: Lugosi in that one. Bella right?
0: Lugosi is in yeah. that one. That's only one of two times that, that he's he played, played Dracula. Or, yeah. So weird. in in name yeah so so a lot of that and then eventually we she showed us like the original Bram's or the original uh, Bela Lugosi Dracula Yeah. which as a child I was very bored by and I yeah. think I fell asleep this is how unmemorable the Bela Lugosi Dracula was to me as a kid as I remember uh, sitting down to watch it with my family and then I like nodded off halfway through it because like <laughs> most of that movie is just like boring people talking in chairs and, uh, and then like I woke up and an episode of I Love Lucy was just playing on TV land like my parents like finished the movie we're just watching something else and it took me like 10 minutes to figure out that I wasn't but still watching worse. Dracula <laughs> because they're both in black and white and it's just like boring white people talking to each other uh, so so that's, that's my my Dracula uh, origin story I guess so so yeah like I, I thought it was really important to learn a little bit about Bram Stoker before reading the book and having learned a bit about him it does kind of inform the book a lot mm-hmm. even you I know who kind of read it without knowing a lot about him just after learning some of it kind of it recontextualized yeah, it makes, a lot of things for you like absolutely. after the fact yeah uh, so yeah so Abraham Stoker who was called Bram uh, he was born in 1847 in Ireland just a year after the Irish potato
1: famine that's such a cool nickname for Abraham
0: right you don't see that yeah. really but oh. back to Bram Stoker. So, yeah. He was uh he was born, yes, yeah, so he was born a year after the Irish potato famine. Uh, his father was a civil servant in the parliamentary section at Dublin Castle, which is the seat of the British government in Ireland. and uh, later Bram went on to do that job as well, uh-huh. which makes sense when you read Dracula because it very much reads like it's written by like a law clerk <laughs> uh-huh yeah, it's very like over meticulous and even like the vampire rules which we'll get into in a bit have like 9000 like disclaimers like he can't do this but if he's over here then he could do this yeah. like sometime but if he does if he's here then you can like so it's no no details were spared. Yeah, it's like it's like when you're listening to like a radio ad and they tell you like about the contest and there's that guy that comes on at the end to like talk really fast uh-huh. and like say all the bullshit that's like you the know makes the guy. contest not worth entering. Yeah. Uh so yeah so bram stoker uh in college he excelled at sports even though he was a sickly child he was bedridden for several years Mm -hmm. or at least at least one or two years very briefly in his childhood um he did well at debating and he started wanting to be an actor but his family didn't consider that like a viable career option and pressured him to go into the civil servant job Mm -hmm. so he had to kind of nurture his love of theater and And uh, things like that by taking unpaid drama critic work for things like the Dublin Evening Mail, which was a conservative newspaper that was unionist and anti-Catholic. Uh If anyone here is trying to do something creative as a side hustle and has kind of like a draining day job uh, It's okay because uh, the man that wrote Dracula had to deal with that, too. Don't we all (laughs) We all do so an interesting fact uh, Jack the Ripper Happened two years before Bram Stoker started writing Dracula. He started (laughs) writing it in 1890 Uh, Jack the Ripper happened in 1888. So that was definitely so that was like fresh on his brain and, and stuff and, uh, and one of the things that we can talk about when we get into themes is that, like, part of the theme of Dracula kind of seems like anxiety about the city. Uh We were kind of entering the industrial revolution. Things were changing. People were moving from kind of like farm communities into more cities. Yeah. And, uh, and just to show that people never change even back then, like everyone thought that if you moved to the city, you were just going to like fucking die and like get mugged (laughs) and killed and like Jack the Ripper happened. And, and part of why Dracula is so successful at killing people in the book is because he's in such a condensed city area. Yeah. When he's in Transylvania, he doesn't really get many people because it's, like, three carriage rides and, like, a boat and all kinds of Oregon Trail-esque bullshit to, like, get up to his castle. Yeah. And also all the villagers are very superstitious. So the fact that he exists in this metropolitan center for a, a big portion of the book is what allows him to be so good at what he does. So is
1: it like, just his castle is is, like, where no one goes.
0: I I think it's just that his castle is just where no one goes. I mean, like, obviously there's other people in Transylvania, you know, and Jonathan Harker sees all the villagers on his way in, but, you know, they have to take, like, he takes, like, one carriage to, like, an inn, and then that carriage takes him to to Dracula's spooky carriage, and then Dracula's spooky carriage takes him up to Dracula's castle, which sits on a fucking cliff surrounded on three sides by just, like, a solid drop
1: into nothing. And I'm sure it was, like, you know, that must have been, like, an impossible feat to get to that castle but it's probably like maybe only a couple miles away from from where the the villagers have to like oh yeah lost. like
0: if <laughs> this was like <laughs> modern day that's like it's like a like a 20-minute car trip yeah. like could have solved all of that that's a fun game to play when you're reading dracula just like reading it and just being like uh at what point could just modern technology have solved all the problems in yeah. this book because a lot of like the the anxiety and uh the tension in the plot comes from the fact that people are like sending communications to each other and it takes like days for them to arrive. Uh And if they have to go anywhere, it takes days for them to get there and days to get back. And everything just took a long fucking time in 1897 is the moral of Dracula that I kind of took away. (laughs) Uh, But back to Bram Stoker, uh, an interesting fact about him is that he was, uh, friends with Oscar Wilde and Oscar Wilde's parents yeah. through his civil work in Dublin because when never, you pal around with politicians, sometimes you get to
1: meet fun people. I guess. Yeah, I've never heard about that until you told me last week.
0: Yeah, it, because they don't really seem like the kind of people that would hang out together. Cause, you no. know, you see like pictures of Oscar Wilde, and he's like this like bohemian, you know. Quip machine and you know always speaks like the Mm -hmm. wittiest things and if you look at a picture of Bram Stoker He looks like one of the presidents that you don't remember. Yeah, and (laughs) he just kind of looks like a like a stuffy boring man kind of yeah, and everything we've told you about him so far It seems like he would be like he was a clerk and Mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff but yeah, but they were they were friends and and in another weird kind of connection of them is that they both briefly competed for the same woman Florence, I can't remember what her last name was, but it went on to be Stoker because she eventually decided to go with Bram Stoker. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine, like, Bram Stoker must be just like, well, I was about to say Bram Stoker must be great in bed to win over Oscar Wilde, but as we kind of know about the Stoker marriage, it was mainly kind of loveless. Yeah. They didn't really...
1: It sounds like they didn't... Uh...
0: They kind of lived their own separate lives in the same house, kind of. Yeah. Because uh, he... Because Bram Stoker, I'll get into in a second, he got a job at a, a big theater, so he was kind of gone all the time dealing with uh, managing the theater and balancing books and stuff like that, and she was just kind of happy to... Be with her friends and the interesting people that kind of Bram Stoker brought her into contact with through his position So it was it's been called by Stoker's own like descendants. I think like a marriage of convenience Uh Uh-huh
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's, you know like today where they kind of shack celebrities up with each other just for publicity reasons I'm sure it's Yeah Very similar. um, Oh, yeah And there
0: are some other reasons why their marriage was loveless that we'll talk talk about about in a second yeah. Yeah Um, but but just yeah, talking about that, like if people are always people are always looking to make like good historical dramas and, and things like that, where's a movie where uh, Oscar Wilde and Bram Stoker have to compete for the attention of a woman, while <laughs> yeah. Bram Stoker is like that's that writes itself.
1: Yeah, that's a comedy script. Just that's that's comedy gold.
0: Like uh, Stoker and Wilde in love or something, <laughs> while Bram Stoker works at a theater for a man that's basically Dracula. Which we can we can talk about that now because uh, Bram Stoker was prone to hero worship a lot in his life. He Uh was like he would get like obsessed with people. Like he was very very uh, he was very much a fan of Walt Whitman, who wrote these poems called the Calamus poems that were described by the uh, Barnes and Noble edition of Dracula that I read with the biography in them as basically homosexual manifestos. Yeah, and Walt Whitman kind of came from the. He kind of came from like the the Henry David Thoreau kind of mindset, like very naturey. But his but his work in particular was about like the like the bonds between like men and like men showing like affection to each other. And Bram Stoker really took to that. But his most important thing of hero worship was uh, for Henry Irving, Mm -hmm. who was a big actor back then. He was he was like the stage A-lister. It was like he was like the Matthew McConaughey of like the like the late 1800s kind of. Of, of the theater, kind of look like Matthew McConaughey too. I just pulled up his. Picture. You pulled up a picture of him. <laughs> I haven't actually seen a picture of him. I need to. Well, it's a to a drawing, do but yeah,
1: interesting haircut. Uh,
0: but yeah, uh, Bram Stoker first saw him on stage in 1867 in a play called *The Rivals* when Henry was 29 and he was like at his peak. He was mm-hmm. like the biggest star of the day. And, and Stoker was, like, so into him that, like, later on in his life, he wrote a whole book called Personal Reminiscences of Henry Irving, Volume 1. Wow. Which the the Barnes & Noble edition didn't go into too much detail about that. Like, it kind of just mentioned it briefly, like, in, like, parentheses for, like, a quote of Bram Stoker's. But I imagine if there was a Volume 1, there had to be more volumes, right? <laughs> so, like, this guy was just, like,
1: fucking in love with, with Henry <laughs> Irving. And unless pa- he yeah, unless he just wanted to make it seem like... like that's actually kind of, like, a, a hilarious, like intentional joke. (laughs) I was going to call this one volume one.
0: So Bram Stoker was really into Henry Irving and he wrote that book way later after they became friends because once Bram Stoker was established as a, as a drama critic, Stoker would go out of his way to defend Irving against criticism. Mm -hmm. Like people would write bad things about him and Bram Stoker would go out of his way to like write really positive reviews to kind of like attack people who gave negative reviews. So he kind of caught Henry Irving's attention that way. And Henry Irving invited him to dinner to thank him. Uh, it was kind of just like a like a thanks for you know being like for being like to a fan of mine you know <laughs> and uh but like Bram Stoker took it as the beginning of like a magnificent friendship oh wow uh so Irving in eighteen seventy eight uh he purchased the Lyceum Theater. He purchased mm-hmm. his own theater and he offered Stoker the job of acting manager and Stoker accepted right away and he quit his clerk job immediately and he only took a short vacation to marry Florence and they went straight from that right into managing, uh, right into managing that. Yeah, he worked for like Henry Irving like his whole life and basically like when Henry Irving passed away, like Stoker's life like lost all meaning because Henry Irving kind of treated him like shit and like just <laughs> dumped all his work on him all the time. Uh, Yeah, Stoker slaved at the theater for Irving. He was in charge of, he was like in charge of the business side of everything. Yeah. And, but though his job was demanding, he pursued other interests. Uh, But though his job at the theater was demanding, he did pursue other interests, including writing. He would eventually publish 14 novels, including Dracula and a short story collection. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, uh, which, again, is encouragement for people doing creative stuff because this motherfucker wrote 14 books. Can you name any of them? No. But he you just need that one, and you're... Yeah, a lot of the books he wrote were, like, he was very he was very kind of... He only sort of got, like, known known for Dracula, like, in, in death and sort of the popularity that Dracula got with the film adaptations and the plays and things. Mm. At the time, he was known a lot. He would, he would go to colleges, and he would give speeches about, like, politics. He wrote, like, the first book he wrote was something about, like... On the meditations of being a law clerk or something like that, like
1: it, like real boring shit. And now Dracula. Now I know Dracula now is public domain, so like anyone can just make their own adaptation of Dracula. Yeah. Uh, should they want to? What is that? Is that just because it's the book at this point is over 100 years old? I f- or?
0: I think so. Yeah, because that's part of why. Which we we'll, we'll get into our next episode about Nosferatu. There's a lot of issues that came up with copyright right. involving that. And why it had to he be was, Nosferatu, he and not gone
1: by that point, though, right?
0: He was, was gone by wife? that point. His his wife was still alive, though, yeah. and and the estate, more importantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Stoker began. Oh yeah, Stoker began legal studies at the age of thirty nine. He was called the bar in eighteen ninety. So he became a lawyer later in life. I have mm-hmm. that in my notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, And this is kind of an interesting note that once he was called to the bar, Florence finally found his profession admirable and only ever referred to her husband as a as a barrister from then on. Like she never referred to him as like an actor or a theater manager, even though she herself, I think when she was younger, had aspirations to be an actress. But like as she got older, she kind of got more like ashamed, I guess, of his being involved in the theater and trying to do creative stuff like she didn't view that as like a real profession.
1: She's probably just pissed that he was like never having sex with him <laughs> that <laughs> very well could be i mean hanging yeah out with, hanging out with uh, henry irving and, and uh, oscar wilde <laughs> yeah. every night yeah it's
0: kind of interesting when you think of like henry irving and uh and bram stoker they almost kind of have like a dracula renfield-esque relationship oh, when, yeah, you, when you look at yeah. them where he's like almost kind of like this lowly servant and you know his master treats him like shit but he kind of has this like Undying devotion to him still for some reason. Yeah, I'm sure that
1: influenced uh, Some level of that character. Yeah,
0: and and there's a lot of there's no solid evidence of this But I think a lot of people basically admit now that Dracula was written to later become a play uh-huh. and that uh, Bram Stoker heavily based Dracula on Henry Irving because he really wanted him to play Dracula in in an adaptation of oh, it yeah. Uh, Because after the release, Stoker actually held a dramatic reading of the novel at the Lyceum to protect the copyright and interest, which I have to imagine was a very boring (laughs) show to sit through. Just people reading this long ass book for for many hours. Uh, But afterwards, uh, like Bram Stoker asked him, like Henry Irving, what he thought of the book and, and Henry Irving, all he said was dreadful. Holy shit. One word. That must have destroyed and like, And like talks of trying to do like a theater thing with it like never went any further because he was kind of just like doing the re- He was doing the reading there to protect the copyright, but he was also kind of testing the waters to see if like Henry Irving might be interested and right, right. just shut it down right away.
1: He's like, I got a pitch for you. <laughs>
0: and Henry Irving was like, no. <laughs> and that was the end of it. Uh, and, like, maybe he thought the role was too small because, as we'll talk about here in a bit, Dracula doesn't really show up a lot in yeah. Dracula, like, at yeah. all. Yeah. He's in, like, less than a sixth of the book, I think. Like, his his effect is felt throughout the entire yeah. novel, but he's more of just kind of, like, this force that's, like, there in the air.
1: Which is kind of cool is it's almost like a Jaws-type thing, even though Dracula shows up within, like, the first chapter or two. Yeah. But, he uh, shows
0: up in the first chapter to let you know he means business, and yeah. then he – it just – the rest of the novels basically just this like growing dread of people slowly turning into vampires, mm-hmm. and it, like everyone's plans to try to stop that just going awry basically. Yeah. Uh But yeah, Stoker's life lost all purpose after Irving's death, and after a series of strokes, he died himself in 1912. Uh, he never made much money from his writing in his life, but his last book in 1911, *The Lair of the White Worm*, did well for the time. Uh-huh. And and yeah like an interesting note about Dracula is that like it was popular at the time but it wasn't like a like a phenomenon. Yeah. Like it can it kind of came out at like the same time as a lot of other sort of hor- like psychological like horror science kind of combination like man. books like like mm. like yeah H G Wells's work mm-hmm. for sure like the time machine invisible man uh Picture of Dorian Gray. Speaking of Oscar Wilde, mm-hmm. uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. And interestingly, a lot of those have been kind of. This is around the time that Sigmund Freud was kind of coming big and into, vo- into vogue. Yeah. So like a lot of these kind of almost have like Freudian ideas in them. Like Dracula kind of has like you know the Freudian you know there's like the the dual like subconscious kind of stuff. Yeah. That's also there in uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. And so like all these like dual kind of properties of man sort of books Mm -hmm. because Bram Stoker lived at a time when like the world was changing a lot and things were kind of going from being more where like religion was at the center of everyone's life to, uh, you know, like science and, you know, career stuff was sort of becoming more of the the center of people's world because, yeah, Charles Darwin was happening during Bram Mm -hmm. Stoker's life and kind of changing what everyone thought they knew about. Religion. Where, where life and yeah. happened, and how religion worked, like the Civil War happened, or there was like a lot of stuff that happened during his life, a lot of transitions and how society yeah, functioned, absolutely. and it, that sort of conflict between old ways of living and new ways of living, like we just talked about a bit ago with the city anxiety, is a big kind of central mm-hmm. conflict in the book of Dracula uh but yeah Dracula wasn't like a huge hit at the time like it was like uh Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a fan of it I know but it was
1: it's a sleeper hit
0: it was it it did it did okay but yeah it was kind of just viewed as like it was just another book out at the time it would be like if we went like 200 years in the future and like the Hunger Games was like like a like just a phenomenon that like everyone like every child knew who Katniss Everdeen was and they
1: to us we'd just be like to us we'd
0: be like like it's like the hunger games are fine like don't get me wrong like katniss can get it but it's like that's what we went with as a culture okay and i feel like that's what a lot of people in the 1800s would be like if they knew just how like crazy popular dracula became
1: yeah it's gotta be (laughs) mind-blowing
0: let's let's briefly talk about what does Dracula look like in this because Dracula again when I was when I was saying earlier that everyone has a visual version of Dracula in their head it's probably regardless of where you're from culturally England America wherever it's probably some kind of a posh man and some kind of a like a posh getup with a cape yeah Uh, but that's not what Dracula looks like at all in the book
1: yeah, no, you usually picture, like, there's, like, definitely, like, they've tried to make Dracula sexy over the years. It's, oh, for especially sure. Especially in Dracula 2000. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, he's, in the book, he's described as, like, this, like, kind of frail, like, lumpy, like, just creepy dude, right? Yeah,
0: it's clear from like the very get-go that this is a creepy motherfucker and he's not
1: to be trusted. And I think they say he has, all he has is a mustache, crazy long white mustache. He has Um, a long white
0: mustache, he has a unibrow.
1: Unibrow and... Like no hair on the top of his head like is that like male pattern baldness? Are they (laughs) implying but he has like long white hair, right? Yeah,
0: so he's got like the like the Devin Townsend like the the kind of look. Yeah The 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 Crypt Keeper where it's like bald on top, but you got like the the wispies on the side. It's a great look Um, And he's got red eyes Mm -hmm. He's got sharp teeth yeah. which it just says sharp they teeth just in general sharp teeth, yeah. They do in particular point out his canine teeth in particular, but it does just say that all of his teeth are sharp. Yeah, so it's not that he just has fangs. He has like just choppers just that a he bunch can of choppers. Yeah,
1: and I remember the, uh, the book that my brother my brother had a copy of Dracula when we were kids and the cover had this really cool drawing of him that looked very much like how they describe and i remember just seeing like a row of sharp teeth <laughs> and uh, the long white hair and everything yeah the
0: way he's described in the book like it's it's kind of amazing that like a book like i thought like reading like that this book from 1897 wouldn't like translate well or that it'd be kind of hokey but like when dracula's described it is like creepy and oh, sort yeah, of like yeah. like it's his mouth is described as being like red as if always like covered in blood and his eyes are red and i think he's he's probably i think he's got long fingernails he's described I as having hair so. on his palms i know yeah yeah which i guess means that dracula masturbates a lot <laughs> but i mean he's got a lot of time i guess to kill <laughs> but yeah, he no, also has long fingernails
1: i think you know as a reader you're reading it and you're feeling that sense of dread, but it's also like what the characters are feeling themselves too so it's like a very yeah, kind of like a never-ending story type thing
0: and because it's almost written in like this first-person narrative You can almost put yourself there and like you kind of like visualize like what would I do if I was in this situation? You know right. like right. the book begins with Jonathan Harker going to sell Count Dracula some property in London and He goes all the way to Transylvania and like I said, he has to take like three carriage rides Yeah, and he gets up in this castle where he meets Dracula who's just like the creepiest motherfucker ever <laughs> And is like nice to him, but is also but it's like got like this underhanded like menace to him where like he's like everyone like I'm sure like our listeners have had like someone talk to them where like the the words coming out of their mouth are like nice, but you can just see in their eyes and their expression and everything that like they just want you to die. And that's basically just like how Dracula communicates to Harker all the time. He's like, Yes, you'll be staying with me for a month and but like the the subtext and look in his eyes, that like uh you're my slave like I've kidnapped you and then Jonathan Harker goes to like try all the doors after Dracula fucks off to like go hunt or sleep or something and he finds himself trapped and so that allows you to put yourself in the character too because you're going like because it becomes very cat and mouse for a while where like Jonathan Harker tries to do this to escape from the castle and Dracula counters him by doing this uh-huh. and he tries to do this and and even though Jonathan Harker's kind of just a dumbass in general you can kind of put yourself there and kind of picture like what would I do if I was doing this and right, right. and that's an interesting thing about the the structure of the book but uh you're in a, a little off track a little Yeah well
1: his power. Pa- so let's go back to his Powers, powers yeah. So we've him.
0: talked about what he looks like. Let's talk a bit about his, his powers. Mm-hmm. So so is a big he one. He can shapeshift. What can he shapeshift into? Well, he shapeshifts
1: into a wolf. He can be point. a wolf. Uh, a bat. He could be a bat. Fog, mist. He can turn into fog and mist. Um, a large dog.
0: He does become a dog at one point. <laughs>
1: Plus, I mean, he's also just, he's basically at the very beginning, he's tricking Harker into thinking that, he has like servants and a driver and everything and it's just Dracula
0: (laughs) yeah yeah that's like a thing is yeah so like we were saying like Jonathan Harker goes up to the castle and he takes like one he takes one cart to like an inn where he gets there and everyone has where that famous kind of like superstitious scene happens where Jonathan Harker is going to Dracula's castle and everyone's like no don't go and they like give him like a crucifix and stuff And then, like, the next morning he leaves and he goes up to Borgo Pass, which no one wants to take him to because that's where Count Dracula comes and everyone's very superstitious, doesn't want to be out after the sun's down. Yeah. And uh, once they get to the Borgo Pass, it's night, and the and, like. They get there, and the the driver of the coach is like, "Well, no one's here. I guess we should try again tomorrow." And he goes to, like, turn back. And right as he says that, this this you know this carriage pulls up, driven by a man. And it's later revealed that it's it's Dracula who's driving it. Uh-huh. He's in a disguise to like look like a carriage driver, but he he has to do everything. Yeah, he's out there driving Jonathan Harker to and from the castle. He's once he gets into the castle, he's like setting his food and everything, and
1: yeah, which is mate. To be fair, probably, like, you know, the guy's got to be bored. So maybe is this, just this way to pass time. He's like, oh, I'll go pick him up.
0: Well, like, when you start reading it, like, I'm you, you kind of think that, like, Dracula's just in there by himself. But then you learn later that there's three lady vampires there. Why aren't they helping? Uh, what are they doing all day? Just... Make one of them go drive the spooky carriage. <laughs> or they just like, like, I just want to see, like, the scene, like, before that where he's like... Someone needs to go pick up Mr. Harker from the pass. And they're all just like filing their nails. And like, one's just like on her cell phone. He's just like, he's just like, fine, I'll do it. And he just like storms out of the room.
1: (laughs) Gotta do everything around. (laughs) Getting no help. All right, whose turn is it to clean the bathroom? (laughs) Who didn't change the toilet paper? (laughs) <laughs> but that's really, the, the the three females, those are the only characters that are actually described as being in the castle. Those are the only ones I
0: mean. that are described as actually being there, even to the point where I yeah. think when Jonathan Harker, like, gets off the carriage, like, he goes to the front of the carriage, and, like, Dracula's already gone. He's already, like, misted it in the castle yeah. to start yeah, doing stuff. And that's an interesting power kind of segueing uh, of Dracula in this, is that they really go into detail about how he can just, like, apparate into and out of things. Uh-huh it feels like in a lot of later versions of dracula like they he can become a bat yeah and in in a couple of them he can also become a wolf but he does he is just like a physical being yeah and in this like it's even more terrifying because you can't even keep your doors shut against him or anything locked if there's like an inch of space to get through he's gonna miss through and that's as long as he's invited as long as he's invited yes yeah
1: that is a that is a good point. Good good catch. Yeah, sir. And also, good catch. Also just uh I mean he they describe it a lot. He has like, you know, telepathic abilities. Like he's able to like control people yeah. from like pretty much anywhere, right?
0: And he can he controls them in like a weird way. Like it's like I know later in the novel, uh Mina starts getting bit, she starts becoming a vampire and mm-hmm. he begins he does something on her called the vampire's baptism of blood. Mm-hmm. I believe Van Helsing calls it. And that's basically where Dracula cuts his chest open and makes him bleed. And then he shoves Mina's head on it and makes her drink of it. And the way it's described, it seems like, like he's making her go down on him. Yeah. And I think that was part of Bram Stoker's intention when he wrote it. Cause there's, Dracula is a very sexual book It's not yeah. sexual in the way that like like Dracula's sexy like in a lot of adaptations, but sex is kind of you mean like in Dracula 2000 <laughs> Oh, he's so sexy in that just Gerard Butler with his long Scott Stapp hair and his open blazer and no shirt
1: Which by the way, I it was halfway through that movie before I realized it was Gerard Butler. Yeah, he doesn't look like him It's <laughs> it's pre uh, 300. Gerard. Yeah, Butler. He's, he's not Different juiced guy. yet um... uh
0: Back to I don't even I just totally lost my uh, train so, of thought. Dracula but, powers. Yeah, so <laughs>
1: the, the powers, you know, there's a lot, and there's like as you said earlier, there's a lot of different rules about how he can leave Transylvania. He's got to be surrounded by Transylvanian soil. Yeah. Um, so
0: so yeah. So yeah. Dracula's weaknesses. Um, he can't. Like his his weaknesses in the book are a little bit different than what we think of. For vampires in general because when you think of Dracula in general you think like he can't be out in the sunlight in the sunlight Uh He'll die. He has to be uh, You know in his coffin before daybreak Mm -hmm. and in this Dracula is out in the day a couple times But I think it's just that I think Van Helsing says that he can only transform uh, at dusk at dawn and at noon for some reason (laughs) So at three times a day, he has powers, essentially. they are and, really just completely
1: arbitrary times.
0: They're really, yeah. Like, is that taking into account, like, time zones? Like, if yeah. it's noon, like, noon's, like, I, I, I that guess... stuff
1: always bothers me. I guess, like,
0: I guess the implication is that just, like, it's when the, the sun's, like, right about to go down, the sun's right about to come up, yeah. and when the sun's, like, right, like, directly overhead. Okay. I think that's... That makes
1: sense, yeah. But when it's, like, with gremlins, where it's, like, don't feed them after midnight. Yeah. Like, all right, what, well, midnight where, and then when can you feed them?
0: Also, the gremlins run around in the snow a lot. Isn't that water? Why aren't they all just like... Oh my god, you're right. Wow. <laughs> we, we, we've, we've found plot holes in gremlins in our Dracula podcast.
1: <laughs> He's also got a constant drink blood, right? Is that a-
0: he, he has to constantly... Yeah, yeah, he has to constantly drink blood. Um... And his sleeping during the day, I think, in this is more just like he sleeps during the day because he has to feed and he's just like digesting. Mm -hmm. Because at one point when Jonathan Harker is uh, in the castle, he tries to kill Dracula and he finally finds where he's located in this labyrinth and he opens Dracula's box and Dracula's in there sleeping. But in the book, vampires don't sleep, you know, like they do in movies with their hands across their chest and they're Uh asleep. He's just like laying there in this box of dirt with like his his eyes eyes open open, and just like this like kind of like vacant stare, which is... Terrifying, yeah. and it's described as like an angry vacant stare, and he's just like gorged, about to. He's like described as like a tick almost, like his skin is like just like bulging, about ready to burst. His his hair is a little bit darker, like his eyes look bloated, and yeah. his mouth is just like covered in blood. Which I
1: have to say, they in in the Nosferatu, the first adaptation, they really nail that. <laughs> oh yeah, that scene where where Jonathan Harker finds him sleeping in his coffin, and it's really well done. Oh yeah.
0: Um. Yeah, Yeah. like it's so, but I think, yeah, just him sleeping during the day is more just like he has powers at night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he only has, he can only transform at dusk and dawn, but I think during night as well, like all through the night he has powers as well. So I think it's more just like that during the day he doesn't have powers. That's just when he chooses to sleep. Yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, if I only had powers like, like half the day, I would also just sleep during the half when I didn't have powers. Yeah. But, yeah, there's a handful of times when Dracula comes out, like uh, during the day. Like, there's a scene when Jonathan Harker's shaving during the day because Dracula, once he's kidnapped Jonathan Harker, kind of just leaves Jonathan Harker to do whatever during the day because he's asleep. Right. And in a lot of cases, during the night as well because he goes off and hunts mm-hmm. and he brings back babies to eat mm-hmm. because Dracula eats several babies in this book. <laughs> Lots of baby murder in Dracula. So Jonathan Harker's left to his own devices a lot of the day. And at one point during the day, he's shaving. He has a tiny handheld mirror and Dracula just like pops up and it's in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and chucks the mirror out the window and it start it startles Jonathan Harker when he comes in the room cuz he's shaving in the mirror and he can see the door behind him yeah. and Dracula like sneaks up on him because no he doesn't have a reflection which is another weakness of vampires. You
1: think that's a weakness? I think that's a power.
0: I think it's a little bit well it's a weakness in that like if anyone sees that they know automatically you're a vampire. That's true. That's like in every movie about vampires like in Fright Night and stuff like that everyone's like, "Oh, bullshit, that guy's a vampire." But the second they like see a mirror and he doesn't have a reflection, they're like, "Holy shit, that's yeah. a vampire." Yeah. Yeah. It's so pretty- creepy and also you have no way of knowing what the fuck you look like which Mm. is which is also part of why i i don't buy the the sexy dracula how does he look that good when he can't see what he looks like like of course he looks like a weirdo with a unibrow and a mustache if he can't look at what he looks like because there's no mirrors in dracula's castle at all in the book yeah, and which wow. is why Jonathan Harker has to use his tiny one to shave dudes probably got all sorts
1: of weird sores on his face <laughs> <I think laughs> yeah. he's Stuck in his teeth
0: and that's also partly why yeah Like at one point Jonathan Harker when he discovers Dracula in his box Like I was saying a second ago He tries to kill him by hitting him in the head with a shovel and it doesn't quite work And Dracula wakes up right as he hits him and scares Jonathan Harker and makes him run away But he does manage to ding him in the head and for the rest of the book Dracula just has like a shovel ding on his head <laughs> Like like he's a character in Home Alone or something, <laughs> which wisely the books or which wisely the adaptations choose not to to borrow from the book, because yeah. they would just look silly if Dracula had just like a like a big bruise on his head the yeah. whole time. It's like
1: the brand name of the shovel. <laughs> yeah, it's got like hefty written in backwards letters across his forehead. Um, um,
0: what are some other weaknesses? Oh yeah, he he doesn't. He doesn't like religious symbolism, crucifixes he doesn't like. And in this book that you don't see in adaptations, at least in my experience, uh, he doesn't like communion wafers. Communion mm-hmm. wafers are used a lot to keep him at bay. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Van Helsing tucks communion wafers in like the door jams of uh, tombs and windows to keep him from going through. Yeah. He They later get rid of all of Dracula's boxes by putting a communion wafer in each of them so he can't get in any of them. And... Uh, and speaking of his boxes, another weakness of his is that he has to sleep in a box, which isn't explicitly called a coffin in no, any way. Never, yeah. It's just a big box, and they do you call
1: it a coffin in Nosferatu. I they guess.
0: do call I'm it a probably. coffin in Nosferatu, yeah. and it does look a little bit more it looks, coffin-like. Looks more
1: like a coffin, yeah.
0: Uh, but in this, it's just he has a box, and it has to be full of his native earth, and he has to return to it to be able to recharge and re-energize. And if he can't return, he'll die.
1: Do they describe what kind of box is it? Is it just like a
0: I think it's just like a just like cardboard. a like a plywood box I, I guess like it
1: it's like a big Amazon box like a,
0: I like I, I just picture in my head just like a big shipping crate kind of just a big uh-huh. wide just
1: but like nailed shut
0: like nailed shut like yeah. like something that would be in like the Raiders of the Lost Ark yeah, yeah, warehouse yeah. or something you know yeah and yeah and he sleeps in in these boxes and in the book Dracula not only does he have a box instead of a coffin he doesn't have one box he has 50, 50. And he, so yeah, he traps Jonathan Harker in the castle at the beginning, and then he gets all of his, he gets all 50 of his boxes together and he goes off to England. And Jonathan Harker sees all this happening and uh, eventually escapes from Dracula's castle after almost being attacked by lady vampires yeah, and he eventually just at one point goes fuck it I'm going to try to just scale the wall because he can't just like jump out the window because like I said it's surrounded on three sides by like a drop but he does scale the window to get into Dracula's room at one point so it, mm-hmm. he eventually just goes fuck it I'm just going to scale the wall they're eventually going to kill me he hears Dracula and his brides talking about how like soon when I leave you can just have Harker to yourself mm-hmm. so he he gets gone and, uh, and so that's how Jonathan Harker knows that Dracula's going somewhere, but Dracula takes all of his boxes and he goes, uh, to London and he starts buying various properties and he kind of scatters them all over the place. Uh-huh. So he has a base everywhere because he has to return to his box to be able to recharge. Right. And I don't Solid think it's a plan. Like I don't, and I don't think it's explicitly like the sunlight will kill him like in other things. Cause again, he's out in the daylight, but it's just, he just has to be in that box right. to, to rest or else he'll just die, I guess. Yeah. And uh, Dracula's 50 boxes, yeah. And Dracula's 50 boxes becomes a big part of the later story because Dracula, once he gets his 50 boxes, he gets on the ship, the Demeter, which Mm -hmm. is a big part of... which is in most adaptations, him taking the Demeter.
1: I guess depending on the budget of, uh, of the adaptation.
0: Depending on the budget. <laughs> but it, it feels pretty common in a lot of them, though, that you have the part where the, the ship shows up and you have the ship captain with his arms tied to uh-huh. the to the wheel. I've seen that in at least yeah, two or three of them. of them. Yeah, And that gets into a little bit more detail in the book where, like I said, the beginning of... Like it feels like you could almost make several movies out of Dracula, because like the beginning, like I said, is a very like cat and mouse game between Jonathan Harker and Count Dracula. Yeah. And then once he gets onto the boat, it becomes like like a Jason movie for a minute, where the crew is getting picked off one by one until yeah. eventually there's no one left to drive the boat except for the captain. Yeah, it's Jason takes Manan. <laughs> it's Jason takes Whitby or wherever they're they're going to in in London. And yeah, the the and the whole thing is told in this uh, log. Because we forgot to mention this. The narrative of Dracula isn't a traditional narrative. It's not like Jonathan Harker went to so and so and then so and so happened. It's it's a collection of documents put together that form one narrative. So the beginning of the story is the Jonathan Harker part, it's all Jonathan Harker's diary and it's all written in first person. Which is
1: yeah, it's a really cool way to read a book.
0: It's found footage. It's like a found footage movie, but as a book, yeah. Yeah. And it it gets a little unbelievable at times, like found footage movies where like this crazy (laughs) shit's happening to him. You're like, Why are you still writing (laughs) this down? (laughs) Like and at certain points it seems like he's writing like as things are happening to him. So like uh-huh. I'm imagining him running away from like lady vampires while he's like scribbling madly in like a journal. Like ah like like not even looking at what he's writing while he's just like madly. You won't believe what's chasing me down this hallway right now. <laughs> my dearest Mina, I'm running for my life currently and I can't. <laughs> Uh, but then once you get to the ship part, it's all told like a ship's log, and it becomes yeah. like a like a completely different document. It feels like you're looking at like a like a police case almost, yeah. and like these are like the facts. And
1: it's like newspaper articles, and, and there's
0: newspaper and articles and, and things like that.
1: Well, it's supposed to be like you're reading the book that's compiled by by Mina, right? Yeah,
0: which which happens later. Yeah, Mina eventually to to fight Count Dracula at the end, she compiles everyone's diaries together to create one consistent narrative, mm-hmm. and then the the book gets very Charlie Kaufman for a minute as all the characters in Dracula read the entire book yeah. that you you've just read, up to the point that you've read, so now everyone has all the same information you do. So he, the entire crew's dead, and Dracula kind of, like, masters a storm to push them into dock, where he then bounces off the, the ship as a dog and uh-huh. kind of runs off into the woods. Yeah. And, uh, and all of his boxes are there, and they get kind of taken from there to all of his various properties. But once he gets to Whitby, ironically, uh, Jonathan Harker's... Uh, fiancée Mina happens to be vacationing right where Dracula's boat shows up so convenient with her best friend Lucy who they've known for a while and at this point the n- novel shifts from talking in Jonathan Harker's perspective and talking the boat's perspective and it becomes about Lucy and Mina for a while what? where they're kind of talking back and forth you learn a little bit about Lucy's life how she's kind of seeing three men or being being suited by three. By being beings. courted by three different men. Dr. Seward, who runs the sanitarium, mm-hmm. uh, which is adjacent to the property that Dracula purchases, Carfax mm-hmm. Abbey. She's being courted by uh, Arthur Holmwood, who's like the son of a lord. Mm-hmm. He's kind of from old money. Quincy. And she's also being courted by Quincy Morris, who's yep. just like a yippie yay cowboy character. Uh, and. And, you know, Mina talks about how she's nervous about Jonathan because Jonathan hasn't come home from doing Dracula stuff yet. Right. And... Even, and Dracula's kind of like manipulated the situation with Jonathan so much that he had like fake letters written out. He made Jonathan write fake letters, and have them sent out to where it looks like he's more okay than he actually is. Right. But then eventually it gets to the point where he's just been gone for a while. Because once Jonathan escapes from the castle, you don't know what happens to him. He's just scaling a wall and then his part of the narrative ends. It's so he's gone, yeah. alive or dead. You don't know as a reader at that point. Yeah. So she's worried. She's talking to Lucy about that. Lucy's talking about her life. They go on vacation to Whitby together
1: as Dracula's boat comes in. Can you imagine going on vacation where you have no idea where your husband is?
0: Oh, yeah. Like, how can you even enjoy your, like, what? I guess maybe that's why they went on vacation, to try to, like, take her mind off of it, maybe. but then,
1: like, how would anyone get in touch with her if he did die or something? Well, it was, like, the
0: 1800s, so, like, nobody could get in touch with anybody, as I've learned (laughs) from this book.
1: (laughs) Just get a letter two months later.
0: Um. But, yeah, and, and, yeah, and at this point, Lucy starts sleepwalking, and, you know. Yeah, so
1: Dracula's stalking her controlling and she
0: starts things. like getting her blood sucked out mm-hmm. and starts you know becoming anemic and no one can figure out what's wrong with her and it's Dracula that's you know like draining her blood but none of the characters know this yeah and at this point in the book you haven't been told that anyone's a vampire yet just that Dracula is just a weird motherfucker and that there are these weird ladies that come in mm-hmm. and he's got kind of an attraction to blood and he doesn't show his reflection but mm. uh, but other than that, like you kind of don't find out it's vampires till way later. Uh-huh. Dr. Seward brings in his friend Dr. Van Helsing to try to figure out what's going on with Lucy. He starts introducing all these weird sort of things, like he starts putting garlic up around her room, which everyone's like, well, what are you doing, why are you putting garlic around her room? He's like, just trust me, Like he won't explain what he's doing to anyone. <laughs>
1: So did they mention in the book that Van Helsing's had experience with vampires before? Or is this just kind of just like... They these... mention
0: that he has several degrees. I don't know if they specifically say that he's dealt with like... Van... Like I don't think it's Not like how, how some people vampires. like have, you know, like Van Helsing is like from like a long line. He's like meant to slay the vampire. All this kind of like action hero-y-ness. Yeah. He's just kind of just a doctor that knows a lot in this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he starts putting up garlic around everywhere, which garlic has kind of a large superstitious history mm-hmm. like it's you know like it was garlic and onions were invoked as deities by the egyptians when they took oaths they had uh uses like roman soldiers ate garlic to inspire them and give them courage mm-hmm. like it, it kind of just has like a weird superstitious history yeah um and it kind of turned into like a vampire thing too but he starts putting garlic all around her room you know and they just can't figure out why she's Dying, she eventually dies. She comes back to life as a vampire. She's buried in Whitby yeah, and uh, comes back to life as a vampire and starts hunting children as this thing called (laughs) the the Bloofer Lady, (laughs) which is a great name, great band name. Yeah, Bloofer (laughs) Lady. Just all one word. Because yeah, like it becomes like a newspaper article for a second to tell you about this Bloofer Lady that showed up in Whitby. Because when she's sick, they do at one point take her back to London where she's staying with Dr. Seward Mm -hmm. in his sanitarium. Uh, along with a bunch of other crazy people because Dr. Seward is a, you know, he runs a mental asylum. He lives there. So, like, Renfield is also there, Yeah, which a lot of the early parts of Dr. Seward's diary, like, before it gets into him trying to solve Lucy's things are sort of his notes of Renfield and how he's kind of just sort of trying to mask the fact that Lucy didn't decide to marry him Mm -hmm. because, like I said, she's being suited by these three guys and she does choose to marry Arthur Holmwood, so... Dr. Seward's bummed so he's kind of focused on Renfield
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but yeah he's in there and Lucy's in there as well but when she dies they take her and bury her back in Whitby because she really loved being there and that's where she comes back to life and becomes the Blue for lady Yeah. and at this point uh, Dr. Van Helsing tells all three men that uh, they have to go and kill her, her,
1: kill her yeah. so yeah they
0: go they kill her and then after that the rest of the book is them just going around and finding Dracula's 50 boxes yeah. and putting a communion wafer in each of them And then also halfway through, Dracula starts, like I said, he does the thing to Mina where he makes her drink from blood in his chest, and it's described like fellatio almost, where he's like forcing her head down, and she says like, he forced my head down, I had no choice but to breathe or to drink the, oh my god, like (laughs) it's exactly like that, like I had to drink, like you have to imagine that that wasn't done on accident but yeah and then yeah and then at the end they eventually uh yeah put wafers in all of dracula's boxes they find his last box with him in it being taken back to his castle because he eventually just like fucks off from london he knows he's been done for Mm -hmm. so he goes back to where he's from but mina's still cursed which in this like when vampires start biting people in this book, they don't become vampires right, right away. away. Yeah. They they just lose blood and then once they finally die, then they become then vampires. Be, yeah. But if you've just been bit and you're still alive, then you're just kind of under their mind control, I uh-huh. think. That
1: makes so, sense. So
0: they have to go actually kill Dracula so Mina can go back to normal.
1: And, and after they kill Dracula, she just the the that's it? She's fine.
0: Yeah, she just goes back to normal. Yeah. Though oddly the ending of this is kind of a different cause. At You know the Dracula endings typically they go back to Dracula's castle. They open the box. They find him they stake him Yeah, and this they catch him on the road to Dracula's castle like he's being pulled in the snow by like a sled with like all these like You know Romani people or like people from that region Yeah, and kind of a whole group of people attacks this group of people on the sled and they pull the top off the box and just kill him right there in the middle of Mm -hmm. you know The thing and that's it. He's dead and he's dead and then that's yeah how the book ends and then you find out later that yeah Mina had a baby and she went back to normal and they named the baby after all the men in the company that got rid of Dracula yeah. and uh, and that's more or less just the, the whole story of Dracula
1: you said when the book came out it wasn't very it didn't make him a ton of money it wasn't even no not really I think he
0: I think he had to like like right before he died even he like applied to get like a grant of some kind to Mm -hmm. keep it so yeah like when you're when you're trying to do stuff like that yeah you're not
1: like yeah it's just sad guy guy never knew yeah what an iconic figure he created
0: he did kind of have a sad life yeah for being like someone who was kind of a closeted possibly self-loathing homosexual Mm -hmm. in a loveless marriage in a kind of bad work environment for Uh most of his life and Wrote one book that changed the world and didn't even get to live to see the effects of it more or less like you deserve better bram I hope (laughs) I hope wherever you are you're uh, you're partying it up. I don't know where I was going with that
1: Yeah, so 1912 he passes away the first adaptation of dracula was the Unauthorized uh nosferatu. Yes film silent film. Yes, that was before was that before talkies?
0: This is before talkies. Yes.
1: So, um,
0: so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a silent movie. There's actually one more adaptation that's lost that happened right before Nosferatu, but no one's ever seen it. But, uh, but we'll talk about more of that in our our second episode because that's this, this episode was about the book. We got through all that, I think. Uh And in our next episode, we're going to go into detail about, uh, FW Murnau's Nosferatu, the 1922 silent film adaptation. And, uh, and we'll talk about the influences of that.
1: And yeah, and uh, if you wanted to watch that, it's available anywhere. Yeah, it's <laughs> public. Google it's it. public
0: domain. So yeah, if you wanna if you wanna catch up with us before the next podcast episode, it's available literally everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't take that long to watch. It's like no, an hour it's like an twelve hour, minutes.
1: Hour and twelve something like that. Yeah. The version on Amazon Prime, the music that goes along to it isn't very good. I don't know if you can find <laughs> a better version on YouTube. But maybe yeah. steer clear of that well, one. It's well, clearly the music's not synced up with the action. No, at all.
0: Yeah. But that's all we'll talk about from Nosferatu in this episode. Just give you a recommendation of a don't watch the shitty one with the weird music. (laughs) There's got to be one on YouTube that has good music. Oh, I'm sure, yeah, Yeah. if you look around long enough. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I guess on that note, is that a good place to wrap up for our our first episode?
1: Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.
0: Yeah, this was a a fun time describing uh, the book Dracula by Bram Stoker. And uh, be sure to join us next time for our in-depth discussion of uh, Nosferatu. Thank you. And this has been Hacks on Drak. Have a good evening.
1: Thank you for listening to the premiere episode of Hacks on Drak with Matt Reiser and Chris Gersbeck. The entire 10-episode series will be available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere else friday july 26th for now please like our facebook page for updates